Little honey bees flying around, little green peas from the ground, buttermilk biscuits nice and brown. Bring it to Tennessee farm table, butter beans, peas, beets and chard, chickens running in the yard, catfish frying in that lard. Bring it to Tennessee farm table. Cast on skillets, good and hot. Watch it steam and crack and pop. Cornbread bacon in that stove. Bring it to Tennessee farm table. Pick them maters, good and ripe. Drop in black gang candy stripes. Look at 'em loading down those vines. Bring it to Tennessee farm table. Bring it to Tennessee Farm Table. Welcome to the Tennessee Farm Table podcast and broadcast, a show that is dedicated to the people of the state of Tennessee who produce, prepare, and preserve food and agriculture, often with that Mountain South Appalachian flair. And on occasion, I just might have a guest from our neighbors from surrounding states here in the Southeast. This is your hostess and producer, Amy Campbell. The theme song that you just heard was sung and produced by East Tennessee's own Emmy Sunshine. She's from Madisonville, Tennessee. And today we are setting the table with Planting by the Stars and Signs. My guest is Sarah Hall, Associate Professor of Agriculture and Natural Resources and Chair Division II at Berea College in Berea, Kentucky. She is author of a new book, Sown in the Stars, with photography by Meg Wilson. Her book came out of a course that she developed called Appalachian Plants and People, and she interviewed several people over the state of Kentucky who used the signs and calendars and almanacs and the stars to plant by. Really interesting conversation, a really great book. Finally, somebody pulled a bunch of resources together and sort of put it together for us. It's a little confusing if you don't know about this stuff. Thank you so much for tuning in today by podcast or radio broadcast. I really appreciate your good company. So let's join Sarah and hear about her new book. Sarah, I have been hurting on this podcast and radio show to have somebody talking about signs and stars and planting. And I love this book that you've written. It's called Sun and the Stars, Planting by the Signs, and give us a basic rundown of what this book is about. Sure, so um, Planting by the Signs, um, sort of, I have two responses to what that is or what it means. One is, uh, from a very practical level, it means that people who do this follow some kind of calendar or almanac in terms of their activities in the garden. So, you know, planting itself is sort of the main central one. You know, they uh, will want to be planting things in the garden when it's a favorable sign for doing so. Um, But then there are also signs that are good for things like weeding or killing pests or just taking a break (laughs) for some people. And so that's kind of at the really practical level what it means. And But then the bigger sort of broader question is okay what is that based on right like what are the recommendations in the almanacs and calendars based on and that gets into 
astrology and astronomy and uh, how they are similar but different in some ways. Um, you know, how the calculations are done can mean that the calendars and almanacs mostly line up but don't exactly line up. And so that gets into that aspect of things. And essentially, people are usually familiar with their sun sign, their so-called sun sign. So we have one month during the year in which um, each of the 12 main zodiac constellations is on the other side of the sun from the perspective of the earth but this is related to the moon sign so what constellation is on the other side of the moon from the perspective of the earth during its approximately 28 day cycle um, around the earth and so you have two to two and a half days in each of those 12 constellations and um, again certain ones are supposed to be good and fertile and uh, for doing things in the garden and others are not. I tried to find out things about this this past fall to try to put my corn in in the right time (laughs) and so I ended up putting it in a few days before the full moon of May when the sign was in Taurus. And evidently, that's supposed to be a real fertile sign. But I was dismayed that my birth month is Aries. That is a barren sign. (laughs) (laughs) It is. Um, There was one person that I interviewed. um, She said that there was a belief in her family that whatever your sun sign was then corresponded to um, sort of the activities that you would be best at. So um, so you as an Aries then um, would be somebody that in her family they would want you to be the one that was out weeding and especially if it was an Aries moon sign and you're an Aries sun sign then the, the thinking was that you know you would be sort of extra good at um, you know, killing pests or uh, doing that kind of work in the garden. <laughs> well, that's a good thing to know. I, so sun sign is basically kind of what we all know, what month we were born in and co- correlates to that zodiac sign. Yes. Yep. That's interesting. Well, I was just trying to Google things and figure it out, and then I noticed, oh, so the moon phase is very different than that zodiac phase. Yes. Could you talk about those differences? Yeah, yeah. So basically you've got um, about a 28-day cycle for the moon, right, to go all the way from, say, um, a new moon back around to a new moon. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so during that period, it is rotating around the earth and um, going through each of those 12 signs. And so within that 28-day period, you're going to have all 12 signs um, occur about two to two and a half days. Again, it sort of depends on the particular reference that you look at that will be in the amount of time in each of those signs. Ah, that's why I only have that little two or two and a half day window to work with. (laughs) Yeah, although there there are more than one, you know, good signs um, to do different things. And so typically, you know, it may mean because ideally you're hitting both a good uh, sign, but also you're hitting it in the right phase of the moon. So mm-hmm. the above ground crop, so anything that produces above the ground um, in terms of what you would harvest, you would want to plant between the new and the full moon, and then your below ground crops would happen between the full and the new moon. Um, and so each of those sort of halves would be a, about a 14 day period, and then within those you would also want to hit a good phase favorable sign as well. But it does mean that, you know, if you're in a period, if you're trying to plant an above ground crop, 
right before a full moon, you may end up having to wait another 14 days until you're actually in in both a favorable sign and the right phase of the moon. Um, Most of the people that I interviewed, the idea is that it's best if you can hit both the right phase of the moon and a good sign, but, um, Mm -hmm. you know, certainly it's better to hit a good sign in the wrong phase of the moon than to, to get neither of those correct so that's good to know yeah there was one person um walden whitehead who just looks at the moon so he doesn't actually use a calendar or almanac um just sort of looks up in the sky and goes strictly by kind of the phases of the moon so so yeah there was one person for whom that was the case but most others use a calendar or almanac which um during the calculations they combine both of those things so they will look at the phase of the moon and the sign um Every single year it changes then, so you've got to really kind of study this. Yeah, and you have to, I mean, for most of the people that I interviewed, they have the place that they go every year to get their calendar, you know, um, in the fall for the next year, and they are very uh, sort of loyal to that. And, yeah, it's often a thing that... Uh, different businesses will have as kind of a customer appreciation sort of thing that they'll do in the fall and kind of have a giveaway and then they have their advertisement up at the top. I love those calendars. You used to see them more than you see them nowadays. Yeah, yeah. I think they used to be, um, and a number of people that I interviewed were, uh, talked about that. How, you know, you used to just see them everywhere. You know, there used to be kind of a little general store in all the little rural communities throughout Appalachia. And of course, many of those have, have closed and we've consolidated and, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, sort of uh, capitalism has done its thing. And, um, and so, so, yeah, we just don't have as many of those kind of um, local touchstones. But some of the different providers that came up in interviews Funeral homes are one uh, that often will provide them. Also, sort of hardware store, farm supply places. Yeah, Mass General Store is is a source that uh, one person I interviewed she gets hers there. Um, so yes, that's that's another source. Oh, and somebody mentioned like their NRCS Conservation District actually is where they get theirs, which is interesting because you know NRCS is of course a, a, a federal agency through the USDA, and I did have a couple people that I interviewed talk about extension agents and the fact that extension sort of these questions would come up you know in extension programming and the extension agents would say you know well we you know we don't necessarily um, recommend that this should be followed but then you know you do have some NRCS local offices that are supplying the calendars and also some extension agents um, apparently that personally do follow it which I thought was was pretty interesting. That is. <laughs> yeah. You are listening to the Tennessee Farm Table. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Hope you're having a good one. Today we're visiting with Sarah Hall. She is the author of a new book, Sown in the Stars. Sarah is Associate Professor of Agriculture and Natural Resources and Chair of Division II at Berea College in Berea, Kentucky. Her book came out of a course that she developed called Appalachian Plants and People. And she interviewed several people from Kentucky who used signs and calendars and almanacs and stars to plant by. 
In the next part of this interview, Sarah will talk about old-time calendars and almanacs with phases of the moon and the zodiac signs, some with fishing and planting days listed, and how she references these calendars in her book, along with the people that she interviewed and how they use these calendars. And I also ask her about her job and Ronnie Lundy writing the foreword to her book. And we're talking about these old-timey calendars, and some people may not have seen these if I'm nearly 60, so I've grown up with them, but they show the moon phases a lot of times, and then the the zodiac sign, the symbol, and look at you, you've got this collection of <laughs> calendars. I love yeah, them. and then typically we'll have, they'll have weather, this one uh, that I just pulled out has weather predictions on here as well, um, and also fishing days, uh, so that's something that is usually on these is sort of like the the good the best fair good and poor fishing days they'll list those and sometimes those are on as a symbol with a fish that's either like a quarter filled in if it's an okay day or half filled in if it's a good um this one may have yeah this one's got the fish I bet you went around when you wrote this book hunting for these calendars. <laughs> well, actually, I wasn't necessarily trying to collect them, but when I did the interviews, almost inevitably, you know, people would pull out their calendars. And it did become a question after I had done a handful of interviews to ask what calendar or almanac do you use, and then people would bring them out. But they often would, you know, they'd have a stack from previous years where they'd kept their gardening notes, and, you know, they would say, well, you can have this one, you know, it's an Aww. old calendar, and I don't need <laughs> and so that's kind of how I ended up with the collection. I think I've got probably three or four more of them. Um. Well, you know, it does pay to write down our gardening calendars so we can look at it every year or, or know, you know, well, that's when that drought was or that's when these squash bugs came along or this or that. It really does pay if I would be more diligent about writing down when I plant you know in the phases of things it would it helped me a lot <laughs> yeah I mean same for me I'm I'm trying to do a better job it seems really straightforward right after you've done something to just go write it on a calendar but uh, it often we have other things on our minds and <laughs> we do yeah speaking of other things on our minds you have you have a job that requires a lot of your attention and time plus you have a husband and two kids and can you tell us about what you do at um, Berea? Yeah, so I um, teach in the Agriculture and Natural Resources uh, Department and um, I am sort of a, we, we all at Berea are, are generalists, as we say, um, and so um, it is a small liberal arts college, and um, we have, essentially I'm a plant person, so, you know, my background is in kind of uh, plant ecology, uh, plant and soil interactions, that sort of thing, and I teach, so I teach courses in the department that are more sort of natural resource focused. I teach our forest and wildlife management class, our general plant science class, um, which I get students in there from a number of different majors. And then this project came out of a course that I developed called Appalachian Plants and People, which is sort of like a, a little bit of like economic botany light focused on the Appalachian region. So how people have used plants for medicine, craft, food uh, purposes over time. Oh, that is a whole show within itself. I can't <laughs> wait to talk about that kind of thing. Um, I bet there is a lot of popularity with that class did you have 
problems with having enough space for students in that class? I would say um, it has gained, you know, over time as I've, I teach it every other fall, so um, it's not, you know, a super frequent class, but um, yeah, over time it has certainly gained interest um, and, you know, tends to be a, a fairly, a fairly good, you know, it makes every time, I guess. <laughs> I get enough students every time. So what's your title at the college? So I am an associate professor in agriculture and natural resources. Um, I'm also currently chair of division two, which is kind of a, um, just a thing Berea has divisions. Um, so we have uh, five different departments in, in my division. And so I help with things like searches and um, reviews of faculty and things like that. Wow. Well, that takes quite a bit of your time and this book, Again, we are talking about your book called Sown in the Stars, Planting by the Signs. So this must have taken a long time. When did you start this book? Yeah, so um, the interviews were done during my sabbatical in 2018 to 2019. Um, so it's been a while. And in fact, a number of the people, five different um, people that I interviewed have passed away since, mm -hmm. since those. Most of them luckily were able to at least see sort of an earlier draft, you know, before they passed. But, but yeah, it does, it takes a while. This apparently a number of people that I've talked to have said five years is about the, the right length for like a book project. Yeah. Um, and that's about what it took. So, <laughs> yeah. I love that the foreword was written by Ronnie Lundy. And for those listening that don't know her, Ronnie Lundy is a James Beard Award winner more than once, I believe. And one of her most popular things through the last few years was her book Vittles. Yeah. It's spelled like Vic tools. Um, I love that she wrote the foreword. Yeah, I, that was something that the folks at University Press of Kentucky lined up. I didn't have any idea um, okay. that, yeah, that they were um, going to ask her to do that and just felt really fortunate. When, when it came in my inbox and I read it, I just, I was in tears reading it <laughs> um, because it just was, was both came at a time when I sort of needed a little bit of boost and confidence in the project itself. Mm -hmm. And also it just, she just hit such a great note and sort of encapsulating what what was what was in the book so I just really really appreciated that you are listening to the Tennessee Farm Table we're visiting today with Sarah Hall author of a new book sown in the stars and Sarah is associate professor of agriculture and natural resources and chair of division two at Berea College of Berea Kentucky her book came out of a course that she developed called Appalachian Plants and People. She interviewed several people all over the state of Kentucky who used signs, calendars, almanacs, and stars in old times to plant by. In the next part of our interview, I asked Sarah about light and dark parts of the moon, specific signs and days like killing days and ember days. So in this book, you write about light and dark and killing signs. Can you talk about that? Yeah, so um, the light part of the moon, this sort of gets, um, again, back to the phases of the moon. So, so the light part of the moon would be that uh, sort of uh, 14 days, the half of the moon cycle between the new and full moon, um, and then uh, the dark part being that between the full and the new moon. So sort of correlating with um, your above ground when you would want to plant above ground versus below ground plants. 
that within your interviews, I bet people threw these terms out all the time, like, well, that's in the light part of the moon, or, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, or the old moon is another one that you hear, and that's um, also, that correlates kind of with the dark, the dark moon between full and new, although often people are referring more specifically to the fourth quarter, so between that third quarter moon and the new moon, yeah. um, that that's kind of uh, the old old moon is something that um, that I heard referred to a number of times. When we're talking about the signs, there's the astrology man. Is it called the astrology or as the almanac man? The almanac man, um, or the man of signs, um, or the zodiac man. So he, yeah, that man with the zodiac all around him, surrounding him, and then a little sign of the zodiac, and he's always got his bowels open. Yeah, he's <laughs> always. It's, do not do anything in the sign of the bowels I'm, I'm, I'm picking up. Is that correct? Yes, yeah, yeah, that's right. And that one um, came up most frequently when people were talking about preserving or canning or sauerkraut in particular comes up a lot. That if you do, if you, you know, try to make kraut when the signs are in the bowels, it is going to go off you know it's going to turn brown and smell bad and you know and it's interesting I've made sauerkraut a handful of times you know I wasn't necessarily paying attention to this stuff right before when I did it and and it worked well a couple times and then uh, a number of other times it didn't and wow. you know I don't know yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe that was you know I used the same recipe I made sure to you know not use tap water and all that kind of stuff that yeah. you're supposed to do Ember days, what does that mean? So these are really, these are interesting in that they come around four times of the year. They're meant to be days of prayer or fasting um, and ordination of clergy. That's according to the Old Farmer's Almanac. Mm. Sort of, it's thought that they were tied to agricultural feasts and festivals. Um, they occur following the first Sunday in Lent, Whit Sunday Pentecost, the Feast of the Holy Cross, which is always on September 14th, and the Feast of St. Lucia on December 13th. And so they're, you know, essentially religious holidays um, that are sort of designated on the liturgical calendars. And they're provided in like the Old Farmer's Almanac in a number of the sources, though, though not all of them. And those are days when even if it is a favorable uh, moon sign, sort of ember days are kind of like uh, super killing days that trump everything. So if it's an ember day, you are not supposed to get out. And it also sort of comes up, at least in one interview in particular, um, Goldie Easton, she talked about that they would try to avoid ember days but that occasionally they would have to get out like in an ember day in June get on the tobacco setter <laughs> to set tobacco and she yeah. said it would always just be so hot like extra hot on those days and so yeah sort of this association with hot weather and <laughs> not wanting to you know times when you wouldn't necessarily want to be out. So try to avoid those ember days. Yeah. Well, that's a good day to kind of sit at the house. Yeah, or if you're trying to kill, you know, if you're trying to clear an area or get rid of some invasive species or something like that, you know, especially yes. if it's an ember day and a killing sign, then you're hitting it, you know, at a really good time to try to do that, that sort of work. 
in these barren days. Yeah, so um, two of the people that I interviewed, Della Shepard and um, Clyde Charles, both talked about essentially the, the first three days of May as being barren days. So those were other ones where you just wouldn't want to plant anything. And they both in particular mentioned corn in reference to that. That is not one that you typically see on the calendars or in the mm-hmm. almanacs where they just block off the first three days of May, but that was one that came up uh, from both both of those folks. So I tried to yeah. sort of cover in the book things that came up more than once, either in interviews and or in kind of written references, uh, and that was one. And you covered sauerkraut. Yeah, so um, really canning and uh, pickles, any of that stuff, um, you would want to hit um, sort of a good sign. And so people that I interviewed mentioned a couple different signs, but um, Mm -hmm. the cancer breast came up as a good one, which is both a good um, planting one, but also apparently is good for doing those things. And also you want it to be in the light moon. So again, between new and full ideally comes up. Other ones, so um, Myrtle Turner had mentioned sort of um, the knees or cap Capricorn and thighs or Sagittarius as being good for for doing canning as well. And then sort of some of the other written sources have have other ones. Um, So, and Mariah Thune, who um, did research for the Biodynamic Almanac and Calendar, she determined that you would want the cabbage to be cut and the fermentation process started on flower or fruit days. And in the Biodynamic Almanac, um, every sign is either flower, fruit, root, or uh, leaf days. Um, And so, Uh, that leaves kind of a big there are three different flower signs and uh, three different fruit signs um, and she says that any of those are fine yeah but the what you do hear most often and is what yeah you mentioned and I mentioned before is that you definitely want to avoid when the signs are in the bowels um, or that's uh, Virgo that's in weaning and breaking of bad habits. Breaking bad habits, yeah. So um, one thing that uh, Phil Case, who I interviewed and has written, he writes a column, he's written a column in the Frankfurt um, newspaper, the state journal, for a really long time. Um, and he also now has a Facebook page called Planting by the Signs. Um, and he puts out sort of the weekly overview, and he'll put, um, like, uh, to quit smoking in this category, right, of breaking bad habits. When I talked to Jane Post, who used the, uses the Llewellyn's Moon Sign book, she talked about um, if she wants to go on, like, a raw diet, um, then she'll also use the sort of, like, breaking bad habits signs. Um, yeah. And so, um, yeah, it's sort of the general formula is from the knees down. Mm-hmm. So um, the knees being Capricorn, um, and then you would want to hit... Um, essentially Capricorn into Aquarius, which is the legs, and then Pisces, the feet, if you can get those. So that's essentially like, you know, a seven-day window where you would go through um, those three signs. And so you've got like a week, um, and it came up in a number of interviews. um, This quote that opens that section that's in the book is from Joe Trigg, and he talks about... um, Essentially, the the cattle, if you can hit it in that sign, that both the mamas and the babies, by the time the signs get in the feet, they're done with each other, and they're just like, you know, there's not going to be any bawling or anything like that, whereas in other signs, um, there will be for a much longer period of time. 
butchering too and doing fencing I've heard that those two are really important signs yeah and those ones um the the correlation is sort of mainly with again the moon phases and so um butchering came up in a number of interviews with the idea that if an animal is butchered under that new to full moon that there's going to be sort of more moisture and that's going to curl up and pop um Mm -hmm. you know people brought up things like pork chops bacon sausages all of them um came up and then um that if the animal is butchered under um you know sort of the other half between the full to new moon um that instead they will lay flat you won't get all that popping um you know and it'll yeah your your meat will cook nice and flat um and it was interesting to me that that came up under a number or in a number of different interviews Um, and it's also mentioned in um, one of the Foxfire books I can't remember if it's the first or Foxfire 11 which is the other one that has a section on it wow well they must just butcher those poor old critters that they make bologna out of any old day because (laughs) that stuff curls up every Every time time. yeah Yeah. I like doing this because it helps me organize how I do my garden instead of just feeling like, oh, all at once I need to do all this stuff all at one time, it helps me to kind of pace myself. Mm-hmm. So I think it's kind of a wonderful thing. Yeah, yeah. I think the planning planning element uh, that comes with, mm-hmm. you know, planting by the signs is really, has to play some, maybe a little bit of a role, um, mm-hmm. you know, in what it does because you're looking at the calendar and saying, okay, you know, if I, I know that it's time to get my you know whatever it is my beans in the ground um and then you're thinking about the steps that have to happen beforehand right to get ready for that Um, and looking at the calendar and thinking okay well here's when here's when I want to hit it you know in these two days um and Mm -hmm. so sort of planning out what needs to be done before before actually planting them um you know that's that's huge it is you don't just go out there and till up ground and stick to seeds the same day. It's kind of it, with the signs. It doesn't really work that way. You have that off time to just, you know, do all that work ahead of time and get that soil beautiful and prepared. Mm-hmm. And then when those signs come, then that's when you put those seeds in. Yeah, go through your look through your seed box, you know, and decide what you're gonna <laughs> what you're gonna plant, and yeah, get things all planned out. Well, for plant nerds like myself, that is so fun. (laughs) Well, I love one of the people you interviewed, um, Bill Best. Can you tell us a little bit about Bill and just kind of basically if you were trying to describe him to someone at like a trade show or something, how would you describe Bill Best? Yeah, I mean, Bill is just a wealth of knowledge um, on heirloom seeds um, and seed saving, uh, sort of in particular uh, beans, tomatoes, but he's also um, saved a number of um, winter squash and things like that. Um, but but he's most, most well known for um, tomatoes and beans. Um, so he has two different books out on the on the uh, on that subject. And um, he actually worked at Berea College um, for a number of years, but in uh, in different in a different department. Um, and then, sort of in his retirement, really, I mean, he he had always gardened, of course, um, but really kind of um, stepped up uh, when he retired his efforts at 
collecting heirloom seeds uh, from different people, getting as much of the stories of those as he could, and he's worked uh, to really preserve, um, you know, preserve those stories and those varieties. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he has uh, the Southern Mountain Agriculture Center, um, Sustainable Mountain Agriculture Center. You'll have to check that one. Yeah, I never quite remember exactly. I think it's Sustainable think it Mountain. Sustainable. Yeah, Sustainable Mountain Agriculture Center. And his son actually now kind of, um, you know, has, is continuing it on. And he's here in Tennessee. Um, and now, you know, he's the one that grows out the different varieties. You know, they sort of select so many varieties each year to grow out. They, they've got far too many to do all of them every year um, mm-hmm. but they will grow out so many and then save seeds to last for a while but um, yes you can find um, you can find that at S- uh, Sustainable Mountain Agriculture Center um, if you just search for that you can find um, their sort of endeavor and, and he's yes just a, a really wonderful resource and he learned um, from a neighbor of his um, really? that essentially he he noticed the the neighbor um, helped or the neighbor when he was building his uh, sort of greenhouse addition um, his neighbor asked about using that space to um, to dry her green beans down um, for shuck beans and um, and he said well you know sure you can you can do that and so she did and um, and he noticed that her beans stayed a lot greener even when they were dry than his and kind of asked why is that and and she said well you know i noticed you don't you don't plant by the signs <laughs> and so he started um he started taking his calendar to her and having her uh, mark on the calendar when he should plant his beans um and uh, so he started doing that and and saw an improvement so he kept you know kept doing that um as long as he could how neat how wonderful to have someone next door to to um impart that kind of wisdom yeah Mm -hmm. yeah well i love his his thoughts about um special days especially i I like his this quote about good friday and beans yeah so this is uh, bill best's quote um so, but just recently, I planted some beans on Good Friday. Good Friday is historically the day most people plant their potatoes, but I have several friends who swear by planting beans on Good Friday as well. Love that. I mean, <laughs> I had no idea till I was reading your book, and, and I didn't know that. I guess I'm just ignorant. I didn't know people plant their potatoes on Good Friday. Yeah, well, and it's interesting, any of these that are um, sort of attached with Easter or close to Easter, because that is, um, you know, when that is set is based on the lunar cycle. Um, And so there is connection, you know, it's just within this topic, there are clearly some... um, you know, kind of astronomical slash astrological mm-hmm. basis for when things are set. So, you know, with Easter, you're always going to be um, sort of hitting at least, you know, a, a certain quarter if you're looking at Good Friday to Easter mm-hmm. um, to that kind of window. It, you know, it is going to be somewhat consistent, even though the date changes because it is based on the lunar cycle. Um, yeah. You know, there's going to be some consistency there. So. Uh, yeah, it is kind of interesting. It is so interesting, and um, and there's a little there's a thing from a Debbie Cook about Valentine's Day, 
and um, something about planting peas. Yeah. So I, and so I didn't really realize that that's a good day. I mean, that's pretty cold. Pretty yeah. cold weather in February. It is. Yeah, and a couple different people that I interviewed mentioned, you know, even if they had to clear a little area, you know, even if there was snow on the ground, they had to clear a little area, you know, they would do that um, mm-hmm. to get their peas peas in the ground on, on there. I'm usually quite a bit behind. <laughs> you and me both. I'm, I'm just starting to think about uh, the garden around that time. But. Yeah, that's right. You had a, a story about a tree. Yeah, so um, we had a, a big um, Bradford pear, calorie pear. Um, you know, everybody's probably familiar with those that got really widely planted um, that was kind of fairly close to our garden area and that we were just ready to be, you know, to be done with it. Also, it's popping up all over in our fields, you know, um, in part because of that mother tree, I'm sure. So um, I asked my husband, I looked at the calendar um, and there was a day that was both an ember day and a killing sign. And I can't remember if it was um, Leo the heart or Aries the head. I can't remember which one it is, but both of those are kind of like you know, super killing signs. And uh, there was a day that was both of those and he cut down um, our tree on that day. And um, we didn't have, you know, you would expect to have a lot of vigorous sprouting and that sort of thing after um, cutting down, you know, it was a pretty, a pretty good sized tree and it it did not. And, um, and so, you know, uh, my husband and I were both just sort of like, well, that is really, that's really interesting. And if we can time that sort of thing again on, you know, a killing day and an ember day, we will definitely try to do so. so. I'm glad to know about it. I've got a, um... You are listening to the Tennessee Farm Table, and we have been visiting today with Sarah Hall, author of a new book, Sown in the Stars, with photography by Meg Wilson. Sarah is Associate Professor of Agriculture and Natural Resources and Chair of Division II at Berea College in Berea, Kentucky. Her book came out of a course that she developed called Appalachian Plants and People, and she interviewed people from the state of Kentucky who used the old-time ways and signs and calendars and almanacs and the stars to plant by. More information about getting this book at KentuckyPress.com. Search for Sown in the Stars, that's S-O-W-N. And again, the author is Dr. Sarah Hall. It's also available all over, but it's always kind of good to get it from the actual publisher or your local independent bookstore. Thank you so much for joining us here today at the Tennessee Farm Table podcast and broadcast. It has been an honor to have your good company. We always love to hear from you on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, or through the website, TennesseeFarmTable.com. I'd sure love to hear from you and swap some recipes and stories. Big thanks to Emmy Sunshine of Madisonville, Tennessee, for the musical arrangement and singing and recording of our theme song. For updated appearances, schedule, news, and her new recording, connect with Emmy Sunshine at TheEmmySunshine.com. We hope you have a good week and keep on digging. This has been a Campbell Creative Incorporated production.